0: Well, we're in Exodus 34. If you have a Bible with you, Exodus 34. If you don't, there's one under one of the chairs around you somewhere, and you can follow along. We're gonna look at verses 29 to 35 this morning. If you're taking notes, the title is, We Become What We Behold. We Become What We Behold. The text that we're gonna look at this morning is a well-known story from the bible especially in the book of exodus it is the story commonly known as the shining face of moses and it's found at the end of chapter 34 here in the book of exodus the setting of the story is actually sort of the prologue it comes at the end of this little mini story we've been looking at the last few weeks known as the golden calf narrative uh, it started in chapter 32 with Moses on Mount Sinai with God for 40 days and nights. And he was receiving the law from God written on tablets of stone. And he was receiving the instructions for this great tent, this tabernacle, that they were going to construct later on where God said he would dwell with his people. And, and while Moses is up there, we discover in chapter 32 that the people were in the midst of breaking the very law that Moses was receiving from God on the mountain when they made this golden calf and worshiped before it. And we saw in the midst of those things, or directly after that rather, that Moses was the mediator that stood in the gap between God and His sinful and flawed people. Moses interceded on their behalf because God was ready, as we saw, to be done with them. He was ready to abandon them. They could go into the land, but he was going to stay back. And of course, as we saw, Moses interceded on their behalf, and thankfully, the crisis was averted, and instead of being destroyed or abandoned, God agreed to continue in the journey with them. And he goes back up onto the mountain, Moses did, and he spent 40 days and 40 nights again with God to receive a new set of tablets because he broke the first set. And so that's where our story takes place. And sort of the point of the story, again, is what I'm arguing this morning is this, that we become what we behold. Let's read the text together starting in verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets (coughs) of the testimony in his hand, As he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses. That the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. You might be surprised, some people ask me sometimes, Aaron, who do you listen to? What preachers do you listen to? And you might be surprised to know that I don't actually listen to a lot of preaching. And it's not because I don't appreciate what other pastors have to say, I appreciate it maybe too much. And so that's why I don't listen because I observed a long time ago in my mid-20s, I had some other friends and they were all learning how to preach and find their voice. And and often when I would watch my friends, they would go up to preach and they would be transformed into someone else. In fact, they would be transformed into the preacher that they like to listen to all of the time. And they would get up, and, and they would start saying words, and I'm like, I've never heard my friends say that word before, <laughs> or their cadence, or the way they would enunciate syllables. And I would realize these, my friends, are being influenced by the people they listen to. They sound like someone else. They don't sound like themselves. And honestly, I found it a little bit odd. I found it kind of off-putting. So I decided I'm not going to listen to a lot of sermons. Instead, I'm going to read sermons because it's hard to, uh, I I guess, mimic that when you're reading a script instead of listening to a voice. But if I do listen to a sermon, I decided a while ago that I was going to be very selective in who I listen to and how much I listen to them. And so, I decided I'm going to choose people who I know I will never sound like. So, my favorite preacher is a Scottish preacher who has the thickest. Sean Connery-like accent you will ever hear. I listen to him because he's an excellent preacher, but mostly because it's physically impossible for me to imitate how he says things and the way he says them. And yet, even as I say that, I've found myself when I'm reading a book, I, I read it somehow with a Scottish accent in my head. But my point, it, it sound, the book sounds so much better in a Scottish accent. <laughs> But my point in telling you that piece of information is just to make the simple point that you know from your own life experience that we become what we behold. Whatever you spend your time, your attention, your affections on, it will have an impact on you and how you behave and the way you come across to others. Even if you don't notice that change yourself, I don't think my friends were getting up into the pulpit and thinking, oh, I sound like so-and-so. I think they thought they sounded like themselves. Meanwhile, everybody else is going, they don't look like themselves. For example, many of you I've noticed when you walked in this morning uh, are a little bit different than you were last week. I noticed it. you're tanner in your faces. You have spent significant time in the sun this last week, that glorious sunshine, and I don't blame you. And, uh, and so you can tell, you become what you behold. And, and I bring this up because you know it's a part of what it means to be a human. We become what we behold. We become what we give ourselves over to. And when you begin to understand this powerful truth, you will have a better understanding of who you are, why you do the things you do, why you think the things that you think, and more importantly, how you can become the person that you want to become. And so what I'm arguing to you this morning is that this is the point of our text today and the point that is being made in our story. In our story, what we observe right away is that Moses had experienced a transformation. That's what's happening. And we're told in verse 29, the source of that transformation. What does he say? Because he had spent significant time talking with God in his presence and it made Moses' face shine. He had spent 40 days and 40 nights in his presence. And what's fascinating about this transformation is that Moses did not comprehend this change in himself. Instead, it was the people, once he came down, who noticed this transformation. They noticed something is different about you than the last time we saw you. And the way they described this transformation was that the face, the skin on his face, was shining. It was a miraculous transformation, a supernatural transformation. What's interesting, though, is not only that his face was shining in this way, but the way they respond to this transformation, it says they were afraid, which makes you wonder what made them all fearful. Certainly, they were curious. There were many other feelings, But at the end of the day, (coughs) they were all afraid. And so why was that? And the answer is likely the fact that the source of this glow was from the glory of God shining in the face of Moses. All throughout the Bible, we see that whenever someone has an encounter with God, the immediate response that they have is fear. When the shepherds saw the angels announcing the birth of Jesus, there was fear. When the women who went to the tomb saw this shining angel, a reflection of the glory of God, they were afraid. Isaiah, Ezekiel, many others, when they experienced the glory of God, there was fear that came over them. And why is this? Why is the response fear usually? And, and the answer, of course, is because of the sheer glory of God. That's a A general reality, when you see His magnificence and and His size and just His beauty and wonder and awe, it is a fearful thing to see the Lord in this way. But another reaction is when you see the glory of God, not only do you see Him for who He is, but you see yourself for who you truly are, fallen and flawed. In other words, to look at the glory of God is also to see how far you have fallen, We have fallen from His glory that He made us in His image to bear before the entire world. This is what made the people afraid when they saw the face of Moses. That not only did they see what Moses had become by beholding the glory of God for this significant amount of time, but they also saw what they had become through their own sin and rebellion. The word that's used there in the Hebrew for shining is actually the same word used for horn. And so the idea is that there were horns coming off of Moses' face. And and really what he's using is to describe these beams of light that are coming off of Moses' face. And what the author is actually doing here is a really clever thing. He's making a comparison here between the horns or the beams of light, this magnificent thing that's happening to Moses' face, and the horns that were coming off of the golden calf that they made and worshiped. And he's making a comparison and a contrast. In the case of Moses, the more time he spent with God, the more he became like him. And there was this shining beam, these horns coming off of his face. And in the case of the people, if we go back to chapter 32, the more they beheld this animal that they made, this animal that had horns, this golden calf, the story is saying this, the more you become like animals. You become what you behold. You remember what happened and what they were, how they were described in that story. It says that when they made the golden calf, it says that they worshiped before it. And the last line is, they ate and they drank and they rose up. To play. In other words, they acted like animals who eat and drink and just rise up to play. They became what they held. They made a God in their own image, and they worshiped before it, and they became like it. And so when they saw Moses, they saw what he had become through his time spent with God, and they saw what they had become through their time of sin, and it made them fearful. Fearful but it makes us wonder again, why is this story even here? Why is it added as a prologue to this golden calf story? What is its function in the bigger story of Exodus? Why does Moses include it here? What does God want us to see? And in the general sense, God wants us to see that we become what we behold. But the historical reason, what it meant for them then, why Moses includes it here is to give proof that he was in fact God's mediator there was never ever again going to be a doubt that moses was the one that god had chosen because every time they saw him they saw this supernatural glow emanating from his face and when they saw him they saw the glory of god and that is the point they saw his glowing face When God declared to Moses on the mountain his name and let his glory pass by him, they saw that in the face of Moses. It was proof that he was God's man, God's mediator. You remember back in chapter 32 when they were fearful and before they made this golden calf, it says, we don't know what happened to this man, Moses. They sort of put him down. Well, here there was never going to be a doubt who he was again which is an interesting point to make because this was the same proof that God gave for the greater mediator that would come in the person of Jesus Christ. Among many proofs, this was a proof that cast all doubt away that Jesus was the greater Moses, the greater mediator that God had sent to stand in the gap and intercede between him and his people. Most of you are familiar with the story of the transfiguration in Matthew 17. And it's almost a parallel account to this one. I'll read it to you. It says, After six days, Jesus took with Him Peter and James and John, His brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And He was transfigured before them. And His face shone like the sun, and His clothes became white as light. and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Just as in this case with Moses in the book of Exodus, this story here emphasizes the fact that Jesus was the mediator that God had chosen to intercede between him and his people. And it was this event where Jesus is transfigured on this mountain that proved to these disciples that what had occurred to Moses, establishing him as this mediator, the man God had chosen, that now Jesus is the fulfillment of that. But to a greater degree, for example, in the case of Moses, God would speak to Moses, but then Moses would speak to The people, but here God speaks directly to these men and said, This is my beloved son, listen to him. Previously, you listened to Moses, previously, you listened to Elijah. Now, you're gonna listen to Jesus because he is the fulfillment, he is the one whom these other guys were all speaking about, who were pointing to. And why is that? Because he is God himself, these are just messengers to him. And secondly, the biggest difference was the fact that, at least in Moses' case, the glow seemed to be a reflection of the glory of God. It was an external glory, like when you get a sunburn on your skin, you spent time in the sun and now you're reflecting that occurrence in your face and on your skin, but that eventually fades away. The glory that Moses had, it was external and it will eventually fade away, as we'll look at in a moment. Whereas in the case of Jesus, His glory was not an external glory. Instead, it was an internal glory inside of himself. Moses put a veil on to cover a fading glory, whereas Jesus unveiled his internal glory that was covered in human flesh. This is vastly different from what was going on in Moses' case, showing that Jesus was the greater mediator. Nevertheless, in both cases, the principle is being made. We become what we behold jesus was who he was because he was the eternal son of god spending all of eternity past in god's presence and so he radiates that glory and if these disciples were going to become what god wanted them to become then they needed to fix their eyes on this jesus and on no one else in our text in exodus Something we also notice, as I just mentioned ago, is this strange detail about the veil. Moses, after speaking with God and with the people, coming down, his face is shining, and they're afraid, and so it tells us that he put a veil over his face, and it makes you wonder, why would Moses do this? I mean, I would imagine any of us, if our face starts shining, we'd probably want that to happen. Why would he put a veil over his face? Was he embarrassed? Was it at the expense of their fallenness? Or was it a concession to them, a kindness to them, so that they wouldn't walk around in fear around him all the time? What is the reason? In one sense, we can only speculate. However, thankfully, the Apostle Paul did some reflection on that very same question. And he answers it to some degree in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and we're going to read it in a second but the context for what Paul is writing about in that chapter is to show the inferiority of the old covenant as great as it was that's grounded in the law now he's showing the superiority of the new covenant grounded in the blood of Christ and so he writes this since we have such a hope we are very bold not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome freedom. So why did Moses put a veil over his face? It was so that the Israelites would not see the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Essentially, Moses knew that people become what they behold. And knowing this, Moses didn't want the Israelites to settle by looking at him, settle for less than what God would ultimately want to accomplish, not in his face, but in the face of of Jesus. Paul would go on to say let in in the later chapter of that same book for God who said let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Moses veiled his face because like John the Baptist who said I must decrease he must increase, he covered himself up so that people wouldn't necessarily look to him but ultimately Look to Christ in the future. In that previous text, Paul uses this imagery of a veil as a metaphor for blindness brought on by unbelief. He's saying there's, there's a, a barrier between understanding themselves and, and God because of unbelief, and their hearts are hardened. And he says even to this day, when people are looking to the law, looking to legalism, he says their hearts are blinded. And what they need and what we needed is for God to lift that veil of blindness and sin so that we can see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But the question remains, what's the result of all of this? So what, I guess, is the question. What does it matter when we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus? And thankfully, Paul gives an answer to that in that next verse, in verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. In other words, what Paul is saying is that unlike Moses, whose glory was fading away because it was an external glory, and he had to keep going back in because it was, it was fading away, he had to go in and <clears throat> spend time in the presence of the Lord or else that glory would fade away. What Paul is saying is that the glory we have through faith in Jesus, it's an internal glory, and it's never fading, and it's instead always increasing the more that we walk with the Lord and fix our eyes on Him every single day. If you want to be like Christ, then you need to look, or you need to look to Christ and behold Him in all of His wondrous glory. If, if you're anything like me, then it makes you wonder, though, where in the world did Paul get all of this? I mean, is he just reading the book of Exodus and he's coming up with this all on his own? Because I'm not seeing any of that stuff in the book of Exodus. So, where is he getting all this? And and I'm going to make the argument that Paul likely came to believe all of these things, how faith works in the Christian life from an event that happened to him years earlier, something that he probably reflected on often, if not daily, an event that likely paved the way for him to become a convert, a Christian himself. And that event was the murder of Stephen, the first martyr of the faith. It's recorded in the book of Acts, chapter 6 and 7. What it says about Stephen is that he was full of grace and power. He was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And and it tells us that, and then it says that there was a moment where Stephen got into a debate with some of the students or some of the leaders of the most prestigious schools of Judaistic thought at that time, and they rose up to debate Stephen about the law and this gospel and this Jesus that he was preaching about. And what it says in the book of Acts is that they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit that he possessed. And you know what's interesting? There was one person among the, that school of thought, among those prestigious Ivy League schools, and that man was named Saul of Tarsus. And yet these men accused Stephen of blasphemy while he stood before them being falsely accused as a heretic. were given this description. He had this wisdom. He had this power, these wonders and the signs. And then it says this in verse 15. They gazed at him. All who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Here was the yet-to-be converted Saul of Tarsus, a man who was top of his class among his contemporaries. He had never lost a debate. He was the smartest guy, valedictorian, and he was being schooled by a man with no prior education and whose face was shining like an angel. I bet he felt pretty small at that moment. But after hearing Stephen speak and defend his faith in Christ before these men and then accuse them of killing God's son, this is what we read happened. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged. They ground their teeth at Him, but He, that is Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And He said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at Him. Then they cast Him out of the city and stoned Him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord, Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, and Saul approved of his execution. No doubt this moment, stuck with Saul of Tarsus, Until the day he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, I'm sure he probably thought, man, that guy's face was really shiny. (laughs) That guy that we killed and stoned, what was going on there? And it probably haunted him the moment he saw Jesus shining in his glory on the road to Damascus. a glory so bright that it made him blind for several days, and probably in his own darkness, he was connecting the brightness of Jesus and this shining face of Stephen, and then likely it haunted him every single day after that, knowing he had killed a fellow brother in Christ. And yet it was also likely this event that shaped his understanding of how the gospel transforms a person through his renewed interpretation of Exodus. Here was a guy who was being stoned to death, and yet he's praying for these people who are persecuting him. They weren't the enemies. They were the mission field. And he's praying God to forgive them. That through faith in Jesus, not Only are we also brought into this light, but that light that was shining in the face of Moses is now shining inside every single believer and increasing every single day as we walk with him. This is what Paul is reflecting on. So, here's a question. When people look at you, what do they see? Do they see someone who has been with Jesus does your character and your attitude give the impression that you have spent time in the presence of God? Friends, it, it is so important that you understand that what you behold is what you will become. And what you put <coughs> before your eyes is shaping who you are. When I talk to people, and you probably have the same experience, when I talk to people, I can tell in a matter of minutes if they have spent too much time beholding the toxic, inflammatory rhetoric beaming from today's media outlets. You can tell right away because they are anxious, they are quick-tempered, their nerves are shot, (laughs) they have an us-versus-them mentality about life, it is not glorious in any way, shape, or form. We don't want to fall into the trap of legalism, but it may be helpful to ask yourself, how is this show, how is this program, how is this information I am receiving shaping the way I view myself, others, God, the future, my mission in the world? It may be helpful to ask these questions. Ask yourself, (coughs) how is the amount of time and what I am looking at on social media shaping me and my worldview? How are the things I am giving my time and attention to shaping my attitude and attributes? What do I wanna be known for is another great question. Do I wanna be known for my politics? Do I wanna be known for what my favorite sports team is? What do I wanna be known for? Friends, the bad news is that you become what you behold. The good news is that You become what you behold. So the question is, what do you want? I think that was the subliminal question being asked in this story in Exodus to these Israelites. What do you want? Do you want this, this glory that is shining from the face of Moses, this incredible transformation? Or or do you want to give yourself over to sin and the impulses of your flesh and be reduced to acting like animals, indulging in the base desires of your fleshly appetites. Do you want to be the people that God made you to be, reflectors of the image of the glory of God? Or do you want to be, and do you want to be transformed from the inside out, from what you were to what you can become by His grace and His power? And the choice is yours to a large degree, If you want to become like Christ, then you must behold Christ. You've got to spend time with Him, and you also at the same time veil your eyes from all of the other things that might turn you away and conform you to some other image. Why don't we pray, and then we'll have a time of communion together. God, we come before You, and Lord, we're so grateful that You have shown us the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And for those of us who have come to believe in your Son as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth, who has revealed to us your glory, we are grateful that you have given us this great gift in your Son, Jesus, and that you showed us yourself in Him. And that through that revelation, we have been brought into this great light by which we are saved. But we're also grateful that you give that light to us to then share out into the world. We confess, though, God, we don't spend the time that we need to, to be able to reflect that glory. Instead, we are beholding things that are conforming us to another image that… We do not want to be conformed into the image of this world. Instead, we want to be transformed into your image, through the renewing of our mind and the way that we think. So, God, we confess that times we fall short, and yet we are thankful that even though we still fall short, you are still gracious, and that you are more committed to our transformation than we are. And so you will constantly pursue us. You will constantly come after us. And that through all of the things we are experiencing, you are conforming us into the image of your son. And we thank you for that. Help us, God, in our daily activities to be aware of those influences and to look to you, the author and finish of our faith. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.